0: Hello. 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 And welcome to the Pioneer's Post podcast, social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world.
1: (laughs) What makes a great social entrepreneur or impact investor? How can leaders bring together the best qualities of being human and doing right by society and the planet with a sharp business sense and a nose for making money where it matters? Our podcast host has spent most of his working life grappling with these apparent contradictions that define the world of business for good. As a chair, CEO, investment advisor and mentor across charities, corporates, investors and so-called impact businesses. For the past 20 years, he's been signing off his emails and blogs in a way that reflects this same blend of apparently conflicting values. It's also the title of his new Pioneers Post podcast, interviewing exceptional people doing great work in social business and impact investment. Welcome to Peace, Love and Profit with Liam Black.
0: So, Welcome everyone to this uh, second uh, uh, podcast. Absolutely delighted to uh, be able to speak today to uh, Miriam Sidibe. Uh, who is a, a friend of mine. I have uh, mentored her. She has helped me understand lots of things. And she has just published a, a brilliant book called Brands on a Mission, uh, which we'll be talking about. Um, she's such an interesting woman. Uh, she's based in uh, Nairobi. Uh, by background, she's a public health uh, uh, expert and specialist, having, trained, having got her doctorate in public health at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. She also has a master's in water and waste engineering from uh, Loughborough. Uh, in the UK, she's a trained agricultural and environmental engineer, she's done it all. Uh, She's worked for 15 years at uh, Unilever, uh, where she spearheaded a lot of that company's um, social mission work, probably best known for her championing of uh, hand washing, uh, where she was part of a team which got an amazing 1 billion people to think about how they can wash their hands differently through Global Hand Washing Day, which happens um, every year. And she's just completed a sabbatical at the uh, Harvard Kennedy School, uh, where she was looking at this whole issue of how businesses and brands can make a positive social impact in the world. And that was part of the process that led to the publication of the book. Uh, If you need any more, she's also the board member of uh, WaterAid, lives in Nairobi with her husband and her children, and uh, and is at the moment under great demand um, around the world, not only for the book, but also for her insight into uh, public health and particularly hand-washing. So, few. Hello, Miriam. Uh, welcome to the podcast.
2: Yes. Hello. Hi, Liam. Very good to be here with you to get a chance to chat.
0: Yes, it's it's uh, it's never a wasted opportunity um, uh, talking to you, uh, Miriam. So, so, first of all, how are you and how's Kenya dealing with uh, the coronavirus uh, pandemic?
2: I'm all right, actually. Um, I think, uh, look, we haven't experienced the kind of uh, the peak yet uh, in terms of coronavirus uh, that Europe and I guess America is going through at the moment, um, and, and and I think looking at the trends, it, it looks like it will be different. It will be a very different. Uh uh, um approach and a, and a different landscape in terms of how coronavirus is going to hit africa what we're trying to see now is uh, is, is to see uh, you know how this coronavirus doesn't become a complete economic uh, breakdown of our of our countries because I think for us um, in Africa uh, coronavirus is very much an economical disease because so many people are actually uh, um, you know living with in, in the informal economy and trying to feed themselves day to day so it's really hard to to implement some of the measures that we've seen being successful in Europe or in America, such as lockdown and uh, and, um, you know, and, and in even physical distancing in the kind of areas where the demography and, um, and, you know, is, is, is being seen. So I think that's a big difference. Um, so we are a bit concerned about that. Uh, we're concerned that um, we need to keep the economy going. So we've not had the same type of lockdown. And of course, we've not seen the same level of uh, mortality as well in Africa.
0: Yeah, well, let's 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 hope that um, you don't get the same levels that we've had here, because you know we've. uh, I think let us say there are differing views as to the quality of the leadership we've had in government here in uh, in dealing with it. So um, uh, so it's uh, you know I mean one can't plan these things, can one? But you know you're launching your book at a time of global crisis when lots of people are thinking about how society can be organised and the role of business. Um, in that future. So Brands on a Mission, um, it came out uh, last month, um, and it's your attempt to draw together your thinking and looking at the practice of businesses that you believe are using their businesses, using their brands, using their uh, resources in order to bring a a positive social impact in the world. So, and you feature interviews with some of the rock stars um, of uh, um, sustainability and businesses that are putting social innovation at the heart of their work like Paul Pullman at Unilever, Alan Jopey, the, the new CEO of Unilever, and Emmanuel Faber um, at town. So, why did you write the book, um, Miriam? Uh, thank
2: you, Liam. I think that the, the book is a reflection, um, obviously, of my of my last two decades in Unilever, uh, where you know I have being fortunate to be to be blessed with a place where a platform where i could practice public health from the private sector so for the last um, you know 15 years in Unilever i have sat in marketing not in in csr not in corporate communications but really trying to see how you can embed a social mission at the core of, of what brands need to do and how to bridge the divide between what brands say and what brands do. And then I felt that I had accumulated quite a lot of um, insights on how difficult that journey is to really try to drive impact at the core of, um, of, of, of some of these business models. And um, I wanted to make sure that, this, that, that I, I could put this down on paper and also create a guide for a framework that companies and other brands that wanted to do the same could follow um, and, and really think about what is it that they need to do to really articulate the difference between um, just staying at a very uh, superficial adver- advertising and communication level and really trying to drive real uh, impact. And I. You know, so the idea for me was that I wanted to create a new discipline, which I'm calling marketing for public health, which was very much about infusing marketing with more moral values and processes in a way that you will be able to then um, uh, impact, uh, um, uh, you know, the, the, your everyday consumer with better norms, with better. Um, impactful uh, um, uh, responses as well. So the the, the the framework that I have created is, is is informed first and foremost from my, you know, 15 years in Unilever of having actually done the work. Um, you know, I sat for 10 years in, uh, in Lifebuoy, which is you now that we've, we've worked really hard at making the world's largest antibacterial soap, and that has led the world's largest hand-washing uh, programs to over 1 billion people that have been I've been lucky to help support. And then also then move to Africa where I spent a couple of years looking at hygiene and nutrition brands as well. So really consolidating this framework and saying, look, if you're going to try to drive impact, here are the five things that you need to do. And I'm, I'm putting this under um, a framework which I'm calling the baobab tree, the purpose tree, which is basically looking at five roots um, that, and five, key, five roots that basically uh, help nurture this tree. Um, and the five routes basically uh, are the first one is, is obviously on how you're going to try to get behavior change to your consumer. So what is it that you can do to drive positive norms to your consumer for every dollar that you will spend on marketing to try to really drive, make a difference between, you know, getting women to eat more green leafy vegetables. For example, if you are a bouillon cube, um, as well as selling your bouillon cubes. If you are a, a, a beer that you're going to create, for example, um, you know, uh, 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 addressing toxic masculinity with, you know, toxic uh, champion men programs, let's say in Soweto in South Africa, where you're infusing values behind that. The, the third element for me is obviously, the second element sorry, that we're looking at is, is partnerships. What kind of partnerships do you need to do to drive your, your model at a scale that's, uh, that will give you not only the depth but the impact that you need? So how do you work with government? How do you work with NGOs? How do you work with non-profit sectors so that it gives you the right depth that you need? The third element is, is uh, for me, is how do you address systemic change? How do you use your voice and your marketing voice that you can have to drive brand advocacy and to stand for something bigger than what you just are trying to contribute to the table? Um, if you're going to stand for child mortality, if you're going to stand for gender equality, what is it that you're contributing and make, getting that clarity, but at the same time, having an, a, a wider brand advocacy approach? Um, the, fir- the fourth one for me is on, on the measurement, because I think you measure what you treasure. And, um, you know, just trying to make sure that you, you're getting enough understanding of what is it that you need to measure at a, at a brand level as well as a social impact. And I look at three levels when I, t- I look at measurement. I look at what is it that from a brand business level we're trying to, to, to get to, whether it is, you know, penetrations, better penetration, whether it's more volume, whether it's, you know, building your brand love and loyalty and, and you know, getting more people to, to, to love what you do. Um, the, the, the second element for me is, is at company level. So how do you retain more people by giving them an opportunity to drive uh, um, uh, the, social, the, the social mission as a core of what they want to do, and then showing that that's making a real difference in terms of retention, in terms of reducing absenteeism, for example. The third element, uh, in terms of measurement, is, is at public sector level. How are you recognised? What awards are you winning? Are you managing to create more blended financing models where you can you can you can mix um, donors models as well as uh, donors money as well as marketing spend so that together you can reach more people because at the end of it i think we're all targeting the same the same group of people and then finally how do you use all of this um to move the muscles of corporations and win internal support because i think that becomes absolutely critical
0: Yeah, i mean one of the things that really strikes me about your book is is how useful it is so if anyone is um i think it's it, aimed at people in marketing but I think it's a, a great read for anyone who's interested in how um, enterprise can be used to bring social change in the world and and, uh, and the framework that you come up with I think, I think would be really helpful to people but um so it's help me understand how a company which where the the, the link between the, their brand their products and social issues isn't as clear so Boy really obvious, you know, everybody wins. Uh, you convince more uh, mothers to wash their hands, more children survive. Uh, and, uh, and Unilever sells more soap and, and everyone is happy. And it feels, that feels right. That feels a good fit. But what if you get to, you, you talked about beer brands. Um, so could, do you have any examples in your book of companies that you would say, wow, okay, that's, I, I hadn't thought about that one. And then second question is, are there any companies that shouldn't really bother trying to do this because what they do is it's hard to see that there's some sort of positive social mission there?
2: So, I mean, my book and my area of expertise is on health and wellbeing, because I believe that's the foundation of social justice, just as simple as this. I think it's the most rewarding business investment in every sense of the term. And, uh, and the years that I've spent you know, studying brand purpose, working at the intersections of business and purpose, through some of the brands, um, uh, you know, that I've been working with, whether it's toothpaste, whether it's a toilet cleaner and Domestos, for example, or it's um, you know a, a, a bar of soap with lifeboy, or whether we're looking at a, a, you know a, a cup of tea and what conversations can be happening to reduce loneliness or, or or have real good conversations around a cup of tea, are all products where you can have a, you can see the direct link. But it's not that simple. But the only thing that is starting to be absolutely clear is that uh, infusing moral values at the core of your marketing strategy pays it pays to be good and um, and i think this is where we we started to look at it because whether or not it's something that you could do so that you know we know for example that if you you brush your teeth before going to sleep you will you, know, you will you know you will avoid cavities and that will avoid everything that we're you, we know around you know school absenteeism and work productivity and days missed of work because you're you're suffering um so those that's very direct so a toothpaste that focuses on brushing day and night is very clear um, a soap brand that focuses on, on getting people to wash their hands um, you know, after the, the toilets or before you eat is also very clear. Now, when you're a, a beer brand who has built its entire equity on building toxic masculinity in a way and being a macho brand, and then you start thinking that actually harmful use of alcohol is something that maybe you should be talking about. And that then you need to, 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 to get uh, generations, new generations to drink more responsibly, but also to tackle the root cause of real gender-based violence, which is toxic masculinity. So, I mean, this is what I've done with, um, well done, studied with uh, Carlin, Black Label, and where I started at, uh, you know, at, at AB and Beth, what they've done is to, to not shy away from the fact that um, you know, uh, alcohol is being seen as an excuse for gender-based violence. So they created a campaign called Hashtag No Violence, and then they created which I, I call very much the, the brand say we're going to stand for uh, gender-based violence. The brand do is very much what they are doing with men and creating workshops around values, peer-to-peer interactions, thinking about what, how do you demystify this whole uh, uh, um, uh, toxic masculinity? How do you change um, the way men see uh, uh, gender-based violence as normal? How do you identify from peer-to-peer? How do you not close your eyes, even if it is happening to somebody next to you or to your door? So I think it, it requires taking some responsibility, but it requires also taking some risks, right? Because, you know, it, it means that they wanted to keep South African women safe, but also maintain the brand leadership position, because after all, um, they're a brand and they're a business. But at the same time, it had to be true to its heritage as an emblem of masculinity. So it's very, very difficult to be able to do that. Um, And this is what, you know, my framework does is that it it helps embed some of this purpose into real tangible action so that it actually gives the brand more depth, more quality in terms of their responses to be able to convince a wide range of stakeholders that they can actually make a difference.
0: Yeah. And what you talk there about it requires some some risk. So can we talk about culture and leadership on this? Because you know, I mentioned earlier that uh, you've been very uh, uh, fortunate and they've been fortunate to work with you with leaders of the calibre of um, uh, Paul Pullman and Emmanuel Faber at uh, Danon. But in, in my view, they're, 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 they're pretty unusual in their generation of leaderships. And what I see often in leaderships are, you know, Lots of blokes, mainly white blokes, um, uh, who have been rewarded for their obedience to the prevailing norms rather than being seen as risk takers and, and, and innovators. Um, and you know, we're speaking uh, today, uh, Miriam, uh, in, after a couple of weeks of the, the protests that have come uh, as a result of the murder um, of that man in the States and the, and the, uh, uh, the, the racial equality uh, protests that are going on around the world. Do you think that how do you think that the leaderships of these businesses will will take your message at the moment when I I, I would imagine every fiber of their being is going, oh, my God, I need to keep my head down now. There are so many big issues. So How can those leaders be encouraged to take on board your mantra that their brand should go on a mission?
2: I think they'll have no choice. Um, I think if you look at um, what's being asked of many investors, and starting with BlackRock, Larry Fink, who recently told, like, all the companies that he in which he invests, that profit is in no way inconsistent with purpose. In fact, profits and purpose are are are, are intimately linked. Right. So. You know, and, and if you look at what the business roundtable has also done in the US, where 181 CEOs have signed up to, 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 to purpose and saying that they're going to move very much from the shareholders um, maximization of Milton Friedman to a more stakeholders um, approach, looking at, you know, arranging from their employees to the communities in which they operate. So I don't, I don't think it is possible to just um, uh, maximize. Uh, wealth today, without having a real understanding of um, of of what you could do, uh, you know, for, for for the for the stakeholders with whom you operate. And I think what's coming very very clearly um, in in you know in the various uh, crises that are happening, whether it's COVID nineteen or it is actually the the murder of George Floyd, um, you know, and, and, and what that actually has done is that you know brands and companies that are actually that believe in 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 you know some of these core social issues that I have done and have history and, 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 um, and, uh, and heritage of having tackled them are standing And coming out of this extremely well and the rest are falling fast and they're falling very far from everyone else. And then it takes years of dedications and commitment to be a brand on a mission. So if there is a time where they can actually reset their business model, it's now. It's now an opportunity to be able to build better and to start taking commitment. But I think the world will need to keep them accountable. And I think this is what this framework does. This framework keeps... Companies and brands are accountable that they're not just jumping on the bandwagon right now. And if you look at the brands that are doing well, whether you're looking at Nike or you're looking at Ben and Jerry's in the in the racial conversations, those are brands that have you know can speak with confidence and authority on America's new reality because you know they've been supporting you know as far as Ben and Jerry's you know since the civil rights movement, they've supported work towards racial equality on many fronts. You know, education, income inequality, criminal justice system. And most importantly, you can see this sensitivity reflected on their boards. So you can see that in their leadership team, you can see that in the board a composition that they have. Um, you know, and, and I think that's what brings credibility across the board. And that work is being rewarded. I mean, they came out with a very simple ice cream last week, you know, a new ice cream flavor called Justice Remix, and the customers welcomed it with open arms. And you know, and I think it's it's a business imperative for brands to, to, to tackle and to build. Uh, mission and purpose at the heart of what they want to do moving forward because I don't think there's a choice and I think yeah. COVID-19 is going to to, to to actually maybe give us a chance to reset this world into a better place at, last, at least I'd like to believe that um, you know so I think and, and, and look at the, the roles that everybody can play within that uh, as well.
0: And where do, where do you think you'll be um, focusing your effort? Will, are you who's the audience you would really like to, to talk to here? Is it the sort of middle-aged blokes at the top, or is it the rising generation where your message and your reading of what's going on in history might resonate more?
2: I think you need to approach both. I think the approach is different, um, but I think you need to approach both. You need to keep inspiring this young generation that it's possible and that it is everybody, it's their role to keep all these companies accountable and that there, there is complete clarity on how this is going to be done, and I think um, you know, like I, I, I think the inspiration part becomes absolutely critical. I think the middle-aged uh, white man who has um, you know all, always been on power and which you know continues to be on power, um, uh, you know, needs also to see that there is indeed a business model that is possible that doesn't completely kill their businesses but indeed tries to make a real impact so i think and this is where i, I believe that the sdgs give us an amazing framework to be able to respond <laughs> um uh, to 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 you know and support you know if you look at uh, the kind of uh, economic opportunities uh, within the SDGs—you know, health and well-being alone is like 1.8 trillion dollars—that is out there in terms of economic opportunities that brands and, and companies can 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 grab. So I think there is an opportunity to create and showcase that these business models can bring that um, that, that 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 positive impact, and that and here's how you do it. Because, yeah. you know, not everybody, not every company is a Unilever. Not every company has been blessed with the right DNA. But I think what my book is showing is that, you know, and I, I draw the line because I'm in health and well-being to companies like, uh, uh, you know, guns, guns and, and, you know, sugar, and, um, what, what you call this, sodas and, and all of that because I don't think there's much value to some of these <laughs> at all. But I do think that overall you can rethink and, 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 and apply a much more... Um, uh, you know, impactful, enlightened
0: capitalism. I wonder. I wonder whether I mean, one of the things that's been interesting that's been going on in the UK is that suddenly everyone sees actually the people who you turn to are not the hedge fund managers and the CEOs of FTSE 100 companies. You turn to the doctors, and you turn to the ambulance drivers, and you turn to the people that keep the food chain going. And I've talked to, spoken to some uh, you know, senior people in businesses, profit, for-profit and non-profit companies, saying, you know, in this emergency, they felt a bit bloody useless, you know, as they've been, you know, stuck in their houses, trying to keep their companies going, watching other um, uh, people keeping stuff going. So I, I wonder whether there might be a, a moment um, uh, when the lockdown is over and we do get back to something like normal, if we can. A lot of leaderships and businesses will be saying, you know, I remember that feeling and I want us as a business, as a brand, to be more useful in the world and more engaged and more on a mission.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And if you think about, I mean, you know, on the other side, I I believe that health and well-being is an extremely uh, well-rewardable business investment. But I also know that, you know, stating purpose for a brand is one thing, but there's got to be a lot more if you look at the billions of marketing dollars from food companies that have contributed to the same rising obesity and heart disease and malnutrition that I talk about that I believe that companies can also address, you know, corporations are arguably responsible for some of the most serious emerging public health issues out there. And, um, and then I, but I also believe that they alone have the global power, reach and authority to change that. So if you think, you know, like hand washing with soap is the best line of defense in COVID nineteen, and the best way you can you can, you know, respond to COVID nineteen is by having a, a good immunity system and make sure that you, you know, you're eating properly and and, and you know dietary food. So now this is a time for some of these companies to talk about dietary diversity, to really think through, you know, their models about what is really necessary and what has their role been in this whole, you know, COVID-19 and trying to get everybody out of this. And I, I, I think, you know, if you can show an alternative in which doing good is profitable, you could change that dynamic. And this is what the book is trying to do. And this is what, you know, my life work has been right is to keep trying to show alternatives, and that the alternatives of doing good is a better alternative and one that pays ultimately better anyway.
0: Well, Miriam, thank you so much. And I, uh, uh, I think it's I think your book is great. I hope lots of people buy it. And I hope lots of people, uh, equally importantly, act um, on what's in there. Um, And it's a source of uh, great hope to me that there are women like you in the world in the influential places that you are bringing this message and and, and encouraging more of us to to make a difference in the world. So, Miriam, thank you so much for your time. Um, uh, Stay healthy and we'll talk again soon.
2: Thank you so much, Liam.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Peace, Love and Profit with Liam Black. Tune in to Pioneers Post Podcasts again via our website, SoundCloud, Apple or however you like to listen to your podcasts. You can find hundreds more podcasts and videos and thousands of stories supporting business for social good from around the globe at PioneersPost.com. And if you'd like to support our social enterprise journalism, we'd love you to sign up for a subscription at PioneersPost.com slash subscribe.